0: listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I'll interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and if this is your first time listening in, thanks for joining. If you've been around for a long time now, thanks for coming back. Excited to have you all here. Today's episode is a discussion I had with author Carrie Schlotman. She has a new book out called Tell Me One Thing, and it is this really depressing isn't the first word I would use, but it is a slightly depressing, extremely powerful portrait of two Americas. It takes a look at uh, examining power, privilege, and sacrifice. And it all came about because of one singular photograph that Carrie saw and was just struck by. And the thing that we talk about today is Carrie's lifelong interest in photojournalism. And that Obviously, as you'll hear in the discussion, is the impetus for her book. But what I really found fascinating about this discussion and a few discussions that are coming up throughout the month of December is this notion that if you want to be a writer, stories can truly come from anywhere. You know, Carrie spends a lot of time looking into photojournalism and looking at artwork and all sorts of different things that have to do with specific photos but she doesn't do it just to want to write books however she saw one photo that we talk a lot about in the beginning of this discussion and what it ended up being was the kind of impetus for her to write her book tell me one thing so very very interesting stuff i think you'll really really enjoy it i do have as always a book recommendation for you and the book that I want to bring up is Between Two Kingdoms, A Memoir of a Life Interrupted by Suleika Jawad. This is a book that I bring up because while not a photojournalist herself, Suleika is you know, a journalist of sorts, but she's extremely, extremely talented as an artist. Suleika was getting ready to graduate from college and kind of go out into the real world when she got really, really sick and found out that she had a extremely, extremely rare form of cancer that was, you know, kind of eating away at her body. She got better. She was able to create this book Between Two Kingdoms. But the reason I bring it up in terms of photojournalism is Suleika did a really powerful job of photographing herself and having photographs of herself put up on Instagram and social media throughout her struggle And so it's a a really powerful way to understand what people go through when they're going through chemotherapy. And the reason I wanted to bring this up again is because Suleika is once again battling cancer, which is horrible to hear about, but I want to make you aware of her story between two kingdoms in the hopes that you'll go and learn a little bit more about the amazing things that Suleika Jawad is doing. So really powerful stuff, just like the book, Tell Me One Thing by Carrie Schlotman is, and I think you're going to enjoy both. Before I get to the conversation, as always, you can email me at passionsandprologues at gmail.com, or you can find me at Prologues on Instagram or TikTok. If you email me any of your screenshotted reviews or ratings of this particular podcast, I will give you some customized book recommendations. And as always, I am giving away a bookshop.org gift card once a month to anyone who emails me their passions. I'll pick one at random. So I really love hearing those from you guys. Okay, that is all the housekeeping. I am really excited for you to get to this conversation with Carrie Schlotman, author of Tell Me One Thing on Passions and Prologues. Okay, Carrie, what is the thing you are super passionate about that we're going to be discussing today?
1: We are going to be discussing. Photojournalism or documentary photography, which I'm super passionate about and very excited to talk to you about. And this is my first time actually getting to talk about this uh, in relation to my writing, so I'm thrilled that you invited me. Thank you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we will. There's for people who uh, will continue listening. You'll you'll hear about Carrie's book in a little bit and a very specific photo that we'll talk about. But first, you know, how did you get into photojournalism? Like what? You know, do you remember like your first experience with it or like when you started being fascinated in this really interesting space
1: yeah well you know i've always been a writer and a storyteller even since i was little so i anything i was always drawn to anything that had the ability to tell a story in a really different kind of way so i immediately as a young person was interested in art and specific kinds of art so i actually when i went to school i studied english but i didn't do a kind of traditional mfa i decided to do more of a hybrid arts and English track. And so I remember being in art history class. And, you know, when I I was being brought up, like I kind of grew up in a low-income community in Southeast Detroit, didn't have a lot of arts exposure. Mm -hmm. besides going to the Detroit Institute of Arts, like the one-time-a-year school field trip. (laughs) But I was around a lot of books growing up. My mom's a big reader. But um, so, you know, I didn't really... My idea of art for a long time was like... You know the mummies at the museum are like basic. <laughs> I didn't know context for like contemporary art or for kind of the power of metaphor that you find in art. So I remember being in my first kind of art history class, contemporary art history class, and um, being exposed to, you know, to photography, but then specifically to photojournalism and documentary photography, and realizing as a writer like that. A good photo is like a full story, which is a really compelling idea. I think when you, when you write, I'm not a flash fiction writer. I think they, they might be able to connect with that idea a little bit. Better, but you can tell a story really briefly. I don't tell stories briefly. I, I can't even write short stories. I'm a, I'm like a novel writer from day one for mm-hmm. better or worse, but I'm totally intrigued by the fact, and I and I always was that you could look at a photograph and see the whole history of it, you know, and it's real. That's also what's super compelling. So these are real subjects, you know, people, and then I'm talking about stuff that's like not staged, that's really kind of like, you know, that documentary style. And I remember um, the photograph we'll talk about in a bit, like that was one of the first photographs I ever saw was Mary Ellen Marks photograph, Amanda and her cousin, Amy, and then the rest of the body of her work. And kind of in the context of, you know, the, the era of, you know, looking at photojournalism as an art form instead of just as photojournalism or something that's done for magazines or commissioned. And that was kind of the nature of that class that I took. So we had some really exciting conversations and it was like a spark went off. And I thought I need to figure out like how to take that kind of storytelling, that glimpse of storytelling into a writing arena. And what does that look like? How do you get inspired in that way? And so, yeah, I. Like from then on, I've just been like massively excited about artists and photographers who are doing that kind of work. And I think it's super challenging work also because, again, it's, you know, a lot of the stuff I'm drawn to is looking at culture, looking at parts of culture that people don't want to look at. You know, mm-hmm. things that are really challenging to see, but that are happening all around us. And I think these are stories that need to be told and, and that art is really telling that story, which is beautiful.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, there's... <laughs> There's, it's like cliche, but like there's a reason people say a picture's worth a thousand words because it's like it, that is so true. Like I just think back, and you know, while you were talking, I found myself thinking about history books that I saw when I was in high school, where you would see like, and I'm probably getting the places wrong, but like the the naked little girl running in Vietnam, like away from a fire, and um, like Tiananmen Square, like the man standing in front of the tank, and even like when I was in high school, nine eleven happened, like that photo of that the person like diet, but basically jumping out of the, the burning building upside down, like they do really like, it's not even a thousand words. Like I, I think you see an image like that and you can, there's tens of thousands of words you could create and craft from an image like that. And yeah, I, to me, I guess I'm just like realizing it now as you're talking about, like, I love photography, but I'm, I love photography in a way where I'm like, I want to take an interesting angled photo of my dog's nose. Like that's not exactly <laughs> the same things. like when you discovered this and like you said, you want it, you started trying to think like, how can I write this way? I guess like a really blunt question is like, how do you work to write in a way that mimics what you see in these stunning photos?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I've thought about this a lot because I... I have spent a lot of time really thinking about how those two things mirror each other. And I think, you know, a lot of my writing is very character driven. And I think it's because, you know, when you look at that kind of photography, it's so subject, you know, subject driven. And again, like, you know, when you look at that kind of photography, I mean, even with something like, you know, the person jumping out of the building, which is such a devastating photograph, you can almost understand everything about that person, you know, as another person in the world, what would be happening? you know, mm-hmm. what kind of person are you that that is your choice? And that that's the way that you're going to deal with the situation. And I think, you know, some of the photography I'm most drawn to are, again, these, you know, sort of low income areas, you know, the way that people are living. And, and some of that was also kind of you know, the first time I ever saw photographs like that, it was also a mirror of some of the way that I grew up and some of the people I knew growing up. And I never thought that there was a connection between that and art. And so when I started to see that, I thought, oh, like there's a place for our voices in this, which is a really powerful thing. And I think it happened to me at a a moment where I was just learning really how to compose my writing. Again, I didn't really study creative writing. I had it, it was a bit entwined in what I did, but, you know, having not done an MFA, a lot of it was self-driven. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the way that art inspired that was really to think about, you know, I get really inside the character's heads for better or worse, you know, this is my style. And, Mm -hmm. And if you like that kind of thing, it's, it's really great. But I think that I'm most interested in, in that, like what's the psychology of your characters, you know, and then how do they relate to each other because of that? And I think a lot of that is driven by looking at those photos because you know, again, photography. This is these are real people in real situations. You know, and and I have the luxury of making up a story, mm-hmm. but I still need it to be as realistic as possible, so that you really do believe these are people and believe that these things are happening to them, and that this is how they would interact with each other. And you know, so when I think about writing scenes, I try to think about, like, if you stepped back from it, like, what would the snapshot look like? Like, what would a photograph of that scene look like? And how, what could someone take away from, you know, that moment? And and then really try to inspire that same kind of feeling that you get when you look at something that's been composed in in an artistic way.
0: I love that so much, because one of the things, in a recent episode, I was talking with um, Don Kertagich, and we were talking about one of the, like one of the main things that makes an author like, yes, it's the ability to write well to craft a sentence to say something in a way that makes people want to read the next sentence. But like a lot of that comes from being perceptive and like looking around and seeing like, I always think there's this, this is a weird way of thinking about it. But it's the way I always think about it when I think of things like details and stories, there's a bar in Las Vegas in New York, New York called the nine fine Irishman. It's an Irish pub where they play live like Irish music but like it's a big it's like a very big bar like I look up in the corners and they have like these old faces of these like old Irish authors and like it's just like up in this space that no one would ever look like I always anytime I'm there I find myself looking like up at those and I'm like who put those there and who are those people and what are they and like but when you go to a museum say and you and they have a photojournalism you know like set of things up like do you find yourself doing that same thing like like standing in front of a, a picture and like crafting a story in your head or does it have to be a very like specific photo that takes you back and you're like whoa i need to really examine this
1: I think I craft every, I definitely craft a story. Almost everything I see, you yeah. know, I mean, nobody wants to go with me to see art because I'm there mm-hmm. for a long time, but you know, I'm, it's compelling the idea too, that like, this is art, right? Like the idea that you're, you, these photographs, and this is where I kind of struggle a little bit with it. Like a lot of that photography is very provocative. And again, these are real people in real situations and they're, they're consenting to have their photographs taken, which is an important part, but you know, that crossover from being something that might be more, you know, more sort of ethnographic in nature to something that's literally fine art that's in the MoMA collection now. Or so, you know, like that's a kind of crazy thing if you think about it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I feel almost like obligated to spend time with that when I see it, because I I feel like I owe it to those, the real people in those photographs. And I'm so curious about who they are, you know, what's going on, what were the circumstances of this. And I have a really, obviously, like most every author, I have a very active imagination. (laughs) So I craft stories very quickly about that. And I think it just, it's not something that is forced. It just, I think, again, that, you know, when that photography is done well, like that's the result, you know, Mm -hmm. ideally you should be looking at it and wondering what's happening here. Who are these people? What happened right before this? What happened right after it? Like, where are they now, et cetera?
0: There it's sort of designed to, I mean, not sort of, it's designed to stop you in your tracks in a way that, you know, I think of, this is going to be a weird way of like countering it, but Instagram now is this app where you're supposed to, not supposed to, but you see the most idyllic version of everyone's lives. You see the, you know, the most perfect picture of the 40 they took in front of the sunset at the beach. Photojournalism to me is like, like that stuff like when I'm on Instagram like I'm scrolling until I see something like actually interesting because all of those things just look the same to me whereas like like photojournalism, like I think of I'm trying to think of the account I think it's on Twitter like uh, people of New York or like the lives of all New humans York. of
1: New York humans yeah
0: New York yeah like stuff like that like every time I would see a photo I would stop yeah and like and I think that to me because I I always like to say like I love going to art museums I do not have a art history back I know nothing like not a single I couldn't point out a single artist but I know I'm like it makes same things make me stop and look at it and I'm like I'll find myself in front of a painting for 10 minutes just thinking and I think that's photojournalism at its best like like you said it forces you to think like what happened here and what is happening now
1: absolutely and you know it's totally fascinating to me because this whole you know, photojournalism kind of had its begin its beginnings in, like, the 1930s during FDR's time. They right. sent, you know, a photographer, Dorothea Lange, out to, to photograph migrant workers' experiences across the country as a way to make a case for, um, you know, people needing support, like, more financial, social support into the country and et cetera. and. Now her work is in the MoMA collection and it's kind of like, and I I wonder about this all the time because we are so saturated with images because of social media. Like, That was really powerful when she did that in the 30s. It it basically was the game changer. People Mm -hmm. saw those photographs. They saw how hard people's lives were. And then they really, you know, it was the tide change that FDR needed to get people to agree to allow more money to be, you know, funneled into social services. I don't know if that's possible anymore. You know, I think people are too used to seeing things. And I, I think you're right. Like, it's very, it takes a lot to actually stop you. We're very desensitized now.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's not even just photos. And sorry to everyone listening who has listened to me for a long time. I'm gonna talk about a book called The Boxfish Fish Takes a Walk, again, for like four seconds because I talk about this book all the time. Uh, If you're unfamiliar, it's by Kathleen Rooney. And it's the story of this 87-year-old woman who lives in New York City. And she basically goes for a walk on New Year's Eve and thinks back to her life when she was in advertising for R.H. Macy's. She was the highest paid woman in advertising in the country. And she talks about how like, when she first started they would write these long, like page long descriptions and they'd be playful writing. Would it be about like an icebox or a vacuum? And like she kind of laments about like you couldn't do this anymore. And like, and then I I'm in my mid thirties and I lamented. I'm like, I would love to see like a full page ad in the paper about like a vacuum that like that stuff. I long I know I'm like a born in the wrong time type of a person, but but you're right. Like I think the whole desensitizing, like it takes a lot like I think of George Floyd, like that wasn't even a photo. That had to be a video. That had to be a nine minute video for people to realize what's going on. Like A, because I want to get to the actual photo we're going to talk about in a second here. But like, do you think there's any type of a photo anymore that could, I guess, shock people into action like that? Or do you think it has to be like a video, like a live streaming thing?
1: I think, I mean, I really think it has to be video or live streaming thing. Because I do think, um, also, because I think there's this weird skepticism about... Photographs yeah. now because anybody can take them. It's so easy to do and you can manipulate them that, that kind of time where, you know, I mean, you could always manipulate them in the past too through, you know, different kinds of ways of working in the darkroom, but it's so different now. The fact that anybody can take a photograph with their cell phone and edit somebody out of it, put somebody else in, you know, I think there's just yeah. a weird, you know, there's a weird relationship now that people have to that, that, that I've, I feel very unsettled by. And I do talk about that in a little bit roundabout way in my book, but um, I think that, uh, Even videos, I worry sometimes, isn't enough. And I hate to ever say that people need something to happen personally to them because nobody should have to deal with any kind of trauma, personal or otherwise, or or witness it firsthand. But it's almost as if, like, again, we're so used to that kind of imagery that until something does happen personally to someone, then, you know, it's really hard for them to really understand that this is the severity of these kinds of things that are happening. And that's, that's kind of, like, that's a... Sad commentary on where we're at as a society. Yeah. <laughs> to just, get too, like, doom and
0: gloom. You said it in a much more eloquent way. I was going to say it sucks. We'll be back with more Passions and Prologues after this break.
1: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and, six one since that matters. And, what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well...
0: We're recording this on November 11th when Twitter's in a total hilarious dumpster. Honestly, being on Twitter this week has been the best thing ever because it's hilarious. But like, there's a dialogue going on in real time right now. And people will probably know what I'm talking about when this airs about the price of insulin because somebody faked, like created a fake account for this pharmaceutical company. And basically said like, insulin is now free. And the company had to like come back and say like, we apologize for anyone who saw the misinformation. And it cost that pharmaceutical company 20 billion dollars and like in like this how their father their stock fell but like people are tweeting about it and i just think like i've cared about this for a long time my sister has diabetes it's so like i think about like the price of insulin and but you're right like people are having fun with it on twitter but they're going to go back to labs and not think about it unless they are directly affected by it and so yeah i it does suck and i for being a little morbid but it's okay it's a rainy day for both of us but um okay but i i want to get to like your book and the specific photo because The way I want to frame the question is as someone who is so fascinated by photojournalism, and like you said, you're so often seeing a photo, whether it's a museum or online or anything and crafting stories out of it. Tell me about first this specific photo that kind of stopped you in your tracks and then why you wanted to dedicate so much time to writing a novel about that photo.
1: Yeah. So this photograph is by Mary Ellen Mark, who began doing photography in I think it was the early 70s. She had a very long career. In 1990, she took a photo called Amanda and Her Cousin Amy. And I first experienced this photo in grad school and it's mega stopped me. It's... Um, It's a photograph. It's actually pretty simple in composition. It's um, two girls in a kiddie pool. They're young. I think they're, I think at the time Amanda was 10 and her cousin Amy was around the same age. Her Amy is sitting um, down in the kiddie pool and Amanda is standing up and she's smoking a cigarette and she's got, you know, like makeup on, fake Mm -hmm. nails. And it's obviously in a kind of rural setting and it's not staged. So, you know, it's immediately just catches your attention. I was originally drawn to it because there's a photograph of my sister and I, when we're little in our front yard, in a kiddie pool, not smoking cigarettes, but, but not dissimilar in composition. And I remember thinking, wow, this is, you know, there's something about that kiddie pool again, like you can just imagine the story. And then this girl who's, you know, so provocative in this moment. So I was so drawn to that photograph and, um, There, you know, I hadn't really known that much about the background of it, or you know, the relationship that Mary Ellen Mark had with the subjects. And I think, like maybe a few years later, there was she. She's done a lot of books with Aperture. She did in her lifetime, and I remember reading that that the Amanda was, you know, that Mary Ellen Mark had been sent to photograph by one of the magazines. This. School for troubled kids, and that's where she met Amanda, the young girl, and then ended up spending a couple of days with her and her family. And she happened to catch that photograph right as she was leaving town. Um, She went to say goodbye to Amanda and found her like that, and took that photo. So, you know, that was really compelling to me. And then, you know, a few years later, and it's always been in my head, and I, I always talked about that photograph. And then, a couple years later, this was I think 2015. Uh, mary ellen mark passed away and npr did a news segment on uh on that photograph on the occasion of her passing away mm-hmm. and they actually went and found amanda who at that point was in her in her late 30s and they interviewed her so i was in the car we were about to my husband and i were about to take a road trip we were about to leave new york and go through pennsylvania and so we we're like caught in tunnel traffic or something listening to this npr segment and i was like this is the photograph." And uh, so they had Amanda on as an adult and they asked her, you know, about the photograph, about the experience with, with Mary Ellen Mark and also why she allowed herself to be photographed. And, you know, she, you can look this up to get the exact wording, but essentially said, you know, she thought someone would see it and come and help her, which was such a devastating thing to to hear someone say, because yeah. again, we know that that just doesn't happen. And she had a really hard life. She was in and out of foster care. She was in and out of prison. Um, she was still having a hard life in her late, I think she was 38, 39 at the time that they talked to her. And it just really kind of shook me because I thought that is really devastating that she really thought that something would come of that. And then we happened to, you know, be driving through rural. So that photograph is in rural North Carolina, but we happened to be driving through rural Pennsylvania and stopped for gas In a very small town, and immediately I thought, "This is the setting for something like that to have Mm -hmm. taken place." And so, the story that I crafted began to take shape in that moment. And yeah, and a few years later, I have my book.
0: Yeah, so I was just going to say that I I know that feeling that you talk about. So I'm I'm currently querying a novel, and I for almost a decade now I've been interviewing authors and like. I would always like a personal question I would ask them, like for me, not for the audience, was like, where not like well, I hate the like what inspires you question, but it was more so just like whatever specific book we we're talking about. I'd be like, So what like what was like the kernel of an idea that you started with? Because that was always my issue. Like I would always start writing something, I'd be like, eh, this isn't it. And then that happened for me. Like I woke up one morning, I just had like a clear as day foot picture in my mind of a scene that I, that was the opening scene. I was like, I don't know what go, comes next, but I'm going to go from there. And so hearing you talk about this photo, like it sounds like instantly you knew, like not only seeing the photo, but then hearing the story behind it, that you had that, like not even kernel, like I would say like a whole, you know, like a whole bo- a bag of popcorn worth of like ideas here. But so I, so tell our audience a little bit about the book and then like how I'm curious, like how, closely you wanted to have the story be to real life and how you kind of decided where to pull and push those aspects of the story.
1: Yeah, so I so I should also say I spent i spent most of my career working with artists. So um that's that's been my primary job in addition to writing books. But so I've had a lot of exposure to artists directly. And I always knew also that I wanted to write there's actually a lot of artists in the things that I write, but I wanted to write Something about the 1980s New York art mm-hmm. scene, because I'm super inspired by that too. It was just such a wild free time. Mm-hmm. So I think that we like when that all kind of came together. So so as far as, you know, how closely setting, I definitely didn't want to have a kind of based on story. You know, I wanted it to be a very different story, mm-hmm. but it felt very much like the most important thing was that that the little girl's voice got heard too. Cause that's something, you know, until like all these years later was what Amanda's almost 40 at that point to finally have her side of this story of being in this photograph told was, was kind of that moment where I thought, you know, the, the subject voice was just so missing in it. So I knew my story at that point. I wanted to be able to tell parallel stories. I also, you know, by the time Mary Ellen Mark took that photograph, she was already really well known, did not launch her career, but I thought, What happens if you actually launch a career off of a really provocative photograph and kind of not forget about, but don't really acknowledge, you know, the subject's Mm -hmm. struggles and that like, what does that do to you professionally? And how do you cope with yourself as you're earning recognition and building your career off something that's, you know, like there's a very, uh, you know, question about objectification when that's there. And again, that crossover of that kind of photography being seen as fine art, I'm still, you know, that still is something that I just needle with because I think it's, I don't know how I feel about that. And I kind of, so a lot of times when I write, I'm also trying to figure out how I feel about things. So all those kinds of pieces came together. So my story is about a a much younger photographer who's on a road trip with a friend Mm -hmm. and passing by this area, does meet this little girl. This is set in rural Pennsylvania, meets the, the young girl, spends a day with her. And as she's leaving, it's obvious that this young girl's mom is, you know, a prostitute at this little kind of truck stop motel. And again, this is very much inspired by the setting where we had stopped for gas in real life. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, what happens if you grow up in a place like this? Like, who are you? Like, what is like And I saw kids running around, I thought, what, you know, what is your life like? There's nothing here. And um, so it was kind of the perfect way to tell the story of someone sort of being able to slip through the cracks of adult attention and, you know, the kind of care and security you needed at that age. And then, you know, this photographer kind of comes along and catches this photograph of a young girl and she's sitting on the lap of one of the truckers outside of a motel. And so there's this, you know, allusion to what's actually going on in the motel when the truckers come into town. And, you know, she's raised by the single mom who's having a lot of issues and who has kind of a problematic boyfriend and so there's a lot of you know kind of again inspired by a lot of the troubles that Amanda herself went through but in a very different setting and then the young photographer you know who comes back to New York City and who's trying to get the gallery trying to do all the things you have to do when you're just out of school and you're really really hustling which allowed me to tell a very interesting story. I think about the New York art scene at the time too, and and how that photograph really becomes what launches her career. And in the meantime, this kind of parallel story of what's happening with the the young girl, and you know, it goes through both of their lifespans. I mean, till adulthood for the young girl, and kind of this tension of if you know what will end up happening, and and. Eventually, the author has a retrospective at a museum in New York, and that becomes a big deal in the news. And this is how Mm -hmm. the girl, who's now a woman, finds out that this photograph of herself has been, you know, has had this whole life that she didn't even know about, which is, you know, what happened with Amanda in real life, too. She had no idea that that photograph had so much life after it was taken of her. So That's the, you know, the story in a nutshell. And it, it digs into a lot of ideas about, you know, privilege, about sacrifices on both sides like what people are willing to do to try to succeed it looks very different for both of those characters based Mm -hmm. on you know their circumstances and what their needs are and then also you know the challenges I mean even though the artist you know has a different and in some ways you know easier life she's not without her own challenges and you know the 80s in New York and in through the 90s etc you know was a really challenging time mm-hmm. and artists really struggled. And then there was kind of an emergence of the art market that changed the nature of a lot of things. So there's a lot of, a lot of things compacted into the story and, and it, it kind of, you know, revolves around these two characters, but does kind of skip through time a bit to show you some different eras of these things.
0: Yeah. First off, I can like hear the passion in your voice about all of this and it like just, that's my favorite thing talking to authors. And like you can hear in your description how much all of these aspects of your story means to you. And I, I'm curious, having said you, you know, you've worked with, with people all your life, like artists specifically. Have you ever had a chance to talk to like photojournalists about that weird dichotomy of like, I'm here to take photos and then I'm going to go my separate way. And this photo could be something that becomes a huge deal. And like that push and pull I guess of like I can't really help these people I can take these photos and it can shine a light on what's going on here but like having these people in the photo like it could very well take on a life of its own and have you had have you ever had a chance to talk to actual photojournalists about this it's I can't imagine that internal struggle they must go through
1: I have talked a little bit with some artist friends about this, not who are specifically only doing that work. Although I think they all kind of struggle with this, depending on what their subject-based work looks like. Mm. You know, it's interesting because at some points, Mary Ellen Mark did intervene in circumstances, you know, later on in her, or some at some point in her career. I remember reading a book about how she... Um, thought there might be some sexual abuse going on. So she reported it. And so I think when she thought that there was something that might, that there should be some intervention, you know, she did take some action. It wasn't necessarily so direct, you know? And I think I I do play around with this in the book too. Like, what can you do? Like, what's your, even if you feel super compelled that you should do something like, what is it? You know, Mm -hmm. can you, I mean, in my story, like she can't take the girl (laughs) with her, you know, she can't. Maybe she could have tried to like, you know, stay longer. You know, there's a lot of questions about what that looks like. And I think that that's where, you know, I think for artists, you know, like what's the, I I don't know a single artist that doesn't struggle with questions about their relationship to whatever they make, whether it has Mm -hmm. like a subject-based content or not. But I think it's really hard to do either. You know, it's really hard to get involved and it's really hard to not be involved. And I think that <laughs> because there's no good solution. And then, you know, no one's really equipped to, to figure out how to deal with some of these big like issues that can be kind of apparent in that. But there are some interesting examples. There's An artist, Brenda Ann. uh, I'm going to say her last name wrong, and I feel bad, but it's it's like Kennelly. Kennelly. Mm -hmm. She did a really fascinating project called Upstate Girls. She's from I think she's from Albany, New York, and she stayed in Troy for a long time and photographed people in that era or in that area after. Like it just had become like disenfranchised, basically. Like all the business had moved out, and people were really struggling there. It's such a compelling project, and she spent. I mean, she lived there with them, and like you know, would mentor the girls and would do, you know, would really do a lot as far as trying to intervene in these soft ways, like the role model ways or, you know, and and I think that was because she was from a community very similar to it. So it felt more natural. I think it was probably harder for someone like Mary Ellen Mark, who was not from that kind of background. She, even, she said that, you know, she felt like she could relate to the girls, like to Amanda and the other girls in the Troubled Girls School because she had been like a precocious kid. And I was like, that's not necessarily the same thing. <laughs> But I think there's other artists who, you know, if they are documenting like culture that they're from, I think that they mm-hmm. feel more comfortable maybe, you know, having a little bit of a more intervention, interventive role, you know, mm-hmm. in that with their subjects than someone who's sent on assignment from a magazine, for instance, to take photographs.
0: Okay. So as someone who is so interested in this field, do you now like ever find yourself wanting to take photographs of just the I guess do you do any photography? again, i mentioned my my photography is close up photos of my dog, but yeah. do you do anything like that personally?
1: I don't I feel like because I write about you know it's interesting because I I love photography I don't know if I would take good photographs I take a lot of photographs of my dog too (laughs) nobody really wants to see them I try to show people and they're like that's great like we don't need to see more of your dog I feel like you know you know what you're good at and you know what Mm. you're not good at and I I think I'm good at writing about that I think I'm good at understanding what might be happening in the settings and scenes that we see in that kind of photography and being able to relate to how it feels to be in a circumstance that a lot of these people find themselves in. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm more naturally drawn to like wanting to write that out versus and play around with words with that, like try to figure out like, what are the other scenes? You know, like we only get... Certain um, moments, you know, in these series. So, like, again, what's before
0: and after, and what's 10 years from now look like in this setting? So, for people who, you know, other than obviously going to museums and, you know, you For anyone who doesn't know, you live somewhat close to New York City. It's like there's, you have world-class museums there? We actually here in Cleveland, we have world-class museums as well, where I can see things like that. But like people who may not be able to have access to that type of thing, like where are maybe some places online that people can find compelling photos like this? Or like just where can people find photojournalism that is still moving in 2022 that in the time when, you know, a lot of places are cutting these types of jobs?
1: Yeah, well, I think you, as you mentioned, Humans of New York, I think is one of the best sites. I think that Brandon has done an amazing job of capturing the beauty of storytelling. And for anyone who hasn't experienced that site, it's it's available. I think he's on all the social media platforms. Mm-hmm. So, and he's got a website too, but, and you now he's done books, but you know, he goes out and meets people and talks to them and takes a photograph. So the the photography part is a little bit different because it's kind of just like, um capturing you know who the the subject is but then in their words they talk about their circumstances it's kind of an amazing combination of both of the forms of storytelling as far as sites you know I don't know because I usually go you know even to see it in real life it can be challenging because I'm really interested in who's doing that work now mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of the stuff that's already in the collections here or when their shows of it I think um and I'm really drawn to like American photojournalism I think because it's it's happening, obviously, globally, but I think it's particularly interesting because it is a reflection of our country that doesn't like to, to think about the things that aren't good about itself. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, and so I think it's really important to see. And, you know, Brenda Ann Keenly, who I mentioned, who did Upstate Girls. That's a really recent project. I think she started that in 2017. You know, there's been... Other projects, too, that are similar. But I think, you know, interestingly, if you're a New Yorker reader, the New Yorker actually does a really good job at profiling these series-based projects when they're happening. They've, they've done a couple of profiles now on artists who are doing this work. So that can be a really good way to to find it. But I don't know of any specific sites. And if anyone else does, they should tell me because I really need to know. That's
0: the perfectly acceptable answer. Um, okay, so last question I always leave. Uh, authors with is give us a recommendation. It could be a book, it could be, um, you know, a specific museum you think people should visit. It could be a TV show, a recipe, anything that you just think you really love and more people should know about. It's just something you want to recommend.
1: All right. Um, I like this question. Can I give two things?
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: (laughs) There's two things. There's a book and then a project dana singer is another photographer who's doing this kind of work and she has this incredible project that the new yorker actually featured i think in 2020 it's very recent and she's photographing people who are living in motels Mm -hmm. and it's a it's just an extraordinary series you can find her online her name is d-a-n-n-a singer and her work is just phenomenal i I was just looking at it actually yesterday and I thought there was another photo in it. And I was like, oh, this is a whole story right here waiting to happen. <laughs> the other thing is, I love this book, Abundance by Jacob Gwans. And I don't know if you've read it, but he, mm-hmm. think it came out during the pandemic, unfortunately, but he published with Gray Wolf and it was his debut. And he writes, and I think maybe because I'm in the Dana Singer phase right now, he also, he his story is about a father and a son who are um, having a very challenging economic time and they're living somewhat homeless and then also living kind of in a motel situation. And, and I think those those two things together right now, I've just been thinking about them a lot the past few weeks. That book, Abundance, is so good. And Jacob tells this story. It's very heartbreaking, but it has, if, if you love like to torture yourself with reading really challenges, uh, like I do, it's so good. And he he did a very unique thing where every chapter starts with how much money the father has in his pockets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just keep wanting to root for these characters and you know that this is really challenging and that, you know, you just want to flip the page to the next chapter and be like, please let it say a thousand dollars. And it's like, you know, $10. Mm-hmm. and So, you know, he's about to devastate you again in another chapter. But it's, I think it's one of the most important books that's been written recently. And, in general, I think that all these projects are really important because they are looking at economic you know, inequality in this country, which is a conversation for some reason that we just keep refusing to have. And it's, I think, the one thing that could actually bring everybody together. And I think that's why uh, there's forces greater than us keeping us from having that conversation all together. Yeah. But that book and that project are phenomenal and I highly, highly, highly recommend them.
0: Those are fantastic recommendations. As people have heard me say in the intro, Tell Me One Thing is available for pre-order now. So please, 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 if you've been interested in this conversation, go pre-order it. As a person who has spent a long time in the literary world, I can tell you pre-orders are like the most important thing you can possibly do for an author. I have literally went on mute a few times and pre-ordered it while we were talking. I'm so, so excited. Carrie, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was so great.
0: Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast. and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor, so while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one on one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships. Parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.